it's so fun watching you guys interact. It's really difficult to break that up. I hate to do that. Oh, well, good morning, everybody. Oh, let's try it again. Good morning, everybody. Awesome. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Eric. I'm an elder here, part of the, the teaching team, and just so blessed to do that. Uh, I'm a Bible teacher by trade and uh, was a pastor for a long time. I love, this is what I love to do, so thank you. I feel like today especially is one of those days where you get handed like somebody else's good news and they want you to be the one to tell everybody. Like it's not my good news, but I get to the joy, I get the privilege of sharing that good news with you today. Uh, we're gonna got a couple stories for you, and uh, we got a really great word that that uh, I feel like God has put on uh, my heart and the teaching team's heart for you today. So let's pray, and we just ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance and help. Lord, focus us today. Focus me today, Holy Spirit. Would it be? Would this time uh, be a special, uh, as Pastor Natalie said, a special time to encounter you? That uh, when Eric speaks, lives don't change, God, but when you speak, people become different. Hearts change. Relationships heal. God, today, may we have high expectations for a little uh, Sunday service in Tustin. Would we have high expectations because you are here. You are valuable, God. We just thank you that you have been looking forward to this time where we stop, we press pause, and we reconnect with you. Thank you for a great time of worship, and God, we know, and we are learning more, that you are a good father, and you love us. There's not one detail in our life that you don't care about. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak today? Prepare our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Couple stories to start off. We just ended our uh, probably my favorite teaching series uh, at Voice is the neighbor the neighboring well series. Once you be my neighbor, and I think we've done it twice. And each time we've done it, I, we've lived in a new location. So it's it's funny that we get to kind of start this process. We've done it a few times now, but I wanted to tell you this story, and I wanted to just kind of buckle up because it's. It's crazy what God does. If we give him the pieces of our life, he takes them from ordinary to extraordinary. So we moved to this place in Corona, just bought a house, our first house about six months ago. And we noticed that there were lots of people that had kids kind of in the same age bracket as ours. And we just like knowing our neighbors. We think it's safer. We think it's more fun. And we, we just feel called to literally love our neighbors. We, we're passionate about that. So um, we noticed that across the street, there were some people that had kids, and, and actually the first day we moved in, they came over and said, hey, we have a trampoline. Do your kids want to jump for half an hour while you finish getting the truck parked? So right away, we're like, yes, this is awesome. But then we ended up just like not bumping into them naturally for a while. And so we, me and my wife, Ariel, we started praying like, Lord, would you give me like this awesome opportunity, this kind of natural open door to meet my neighbors? Now, another thing that was happening is about five days before that, we had realized the house we just moved into, uh, the pipes underneath the house started leaking. And I noticed about that neighbor that he drives in and out every day in a truck that says plumber on it. I was like, hmm, wonder if God's up to something. Anyway, it wasn't just about an agenda. It was like honestly wanting to connect with our neighbors. So I'm sitting there in the mornings, 5 a.m., in the dark, drinking coffee, because that's what I do in the morning. And, uh, and I remember praying, like, Lord, it, would you just 
create some kind of crazy situation where it's just natural to bump into our neighbors because it just hasn't happened since that first day. As I am praying, I hear a car accident right out in front of my house. Boom, like loud, like tires explode. And I look up the window that faces their house. I look up and a driver at five in the morning in the dark, probably drinking coffee and checking his email on his phone, rear-ended their parked car that was parked on the street, totaled it. And so I walk out in my pajamas. They walk out in their pajamas, and I start laughing because God has just orchestrated a miracle moment to hang out with my neighbors at 5.03 a.m. on Monday morning. But what's so crazy is I witnessed their car accident. And so uh, we, we talked and we like, you know, made sure everybody was okay. The driver was fine. They went about their business, towed the vehicle. And we said, okay, later today, later today, uh, I will, let's get together and I'll give you a statement for the police report or whatever. So we got back later that day and uh, the, the husband actually wasn't there as a wife. So she came over and I gave the statement and we looked over to our neighbor next to us. We noticed they had a ring camera, caught the whole thing on tape. So we got to like connect with them. It was super cool. Uh, block party was started. And so um, we, we're just going. And, um, and I remember thinking, Lord, no way. No way. So we were hanging out. And then I, was, uh, I had this like little thing in the back of my mind like, hey, um, you should invite them to dinner. And so I'm like, okay, cool, yeah. Uh, and before I even got to do that, the wife, uh, who's our friend now, um, she is just kind of spazzy and awesome and loud and wonderful. And she just goes, hey, um, can I see your backyard? Like, yeah, sure, of course you can see my backyard, because they were thinking about buying our house, long story, whatever. So we walk up through the backyard, and as we're walking around, they're like, oh, hey, is that your crawl space? And I'm like, hey, aren't you a plumber? And he's like, yeah. And so we ended up that day right there crawling under the house, and the next weekend, he helped me fix the pipes to the house. The following weekend, we bought them this big barbecue feast to say thank you. So now we've hung out like the next couple weekends in a row. And uh, just uh, as of last month, we signed up to do the Tough Mudder together. And I wanted to tell you that story because for two reasons. Number one, just because we're done with the neighboring series doesn't mean we're done being good neighbors, right? And if you've like struck out and tried a couple times and it just hasn't happened yet, I want to encourage you to keep trying. I really do think if we let God craft these moments to where it happens naturally, so to speak, it happens in God's timing, uh, man, the connection's amazing. So we, I went from praying for an opportunity to witnessing a car accident to fixing pipes with this guy, and now we're running a mud run together. It's like, gosh, now that is God's dream for neighbors, right? So I just pray, and, and, and that being said, we would love to hear your neighboring stories. If you have cool things, they don't have to be big. It could be just whatever happens. We would love to uh, just to be encouraged by hearing your neighbor stories. All right. So uh, I just want to share that with you guys. Keep trying. Keep trying. Being a good neighbor uh, is probably more like two steps forward, one step back. And it takes a while. But keep, getting, keep trying. Keep pushing through. All right. So today we are continuing our series uh, titled It Came From Within. It came from within, and this is a series that is focusing on this fact, that every action, every external word, every attitude starts from here. 
from within, from our heart. What we're talking about in this series is not a behavior thing. It's a heart thing. Every outward action starts from within. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We know, and we learned last week, if you, if you haven't listened to Pastor Taka's sermon from last week, go back and listen to that, because it's very much part one. Uh, this one, this sermon is very much built on the back of that. But uh, th- this idea is, is from our heart comes how we do relationship. It's out of our heart that comes how we talk to our kids. It's out of our heart that comes how we spend money, how we work, how we do marriage, how we parent, all of the above, how we drive. Everything comes from the heart. And so this morning, as a bit of an intro uh, and as a bit of a way to challenge you, to be honest, I want to ask you, in regards to guarding your heart, your heart health, so to speak, how are you doing? How is your heart today? If you're like me, I know that when the filter or the facade or the mask that I wear, when that, in those moments when that just doesn't seem to be working out, when the real me comes out, my unfiltered self is finally exposed, I know that I am usually left regretting actions, words, or attitudes. If you're like me, Jeremiah 17, 9 doesn't have really great news, but I know speaks the truth when the author says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's not just a problem with external actions or words, and therefore it's not just an external remedy to an external problem. The heart is what we're talking about today. Now, think about this for a second. I want to really get you prepared for our main topic today as we talk about guilt. But if it's not an external problem with an external remedy, if we're talking about something else here, because if it was external, if it was external, I think then we would just worship a God of self-discipline and willpower. We would worship the God of willpower. Just will yourself to do it differently. But that's not how Christians live. That's not how we're encouraged to live. We'd worship a a religious God who's, uh, we would worship a God who is concerned more about what's happening on the outside than what we're feeling on the inside. But we know through experience that that is just not true. The God that we serve today cares about how much peace you are experiencing. Cares about how much holiness you are experiencing, cares about our inner connection with him. Now, spiritual disciplines are awesome. In fact, I think that, like, because I'm naturally more of a disciplined person, I I wish that disciplines saved me more because it feels really good to get them right. You know, it feels really good to be good at disciplines. But I've realized through this sermon and being reminded crafting what we're going to talk about today is that we need to remember that spiritual disciplines don't actually change us. All spiritual disciplines do is get us in a position for God to change us. And so, Voice Church, we come to the table of of this, this communion with God, offering nothing but the sincerity to let God change who we are. And I love that. That's actually a position of freedom. 
Bible says that when we are weak, he gets to be strong. We worship a God who knows us deep down to the core, who sees the condition of our heart. He sees all the junk, and he still loves us. If it's been a while since you've heard that today, that he sees the mess, he sees the stuff underneath the mask, and he still loves you, please just take a moment and let that in, that he sees you and he loves you. And this is where our series fits in. It came from within. We're doing this heart check. Last week, Taka talked about doing heart surgery, putting in the hard work of getting ourselves in position where God can change our hearts. And that's my prayer for you today, whether you're listening online or you're here in person. I think God can change our heart. In fact, I think he promises to. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove this heart of stone, meaning this heart that's not going to change. And I'll give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a heart that's willing and able to hear from him. God just wants you to invite him in. I was uh, going through my son's Friday packet. Those of you who have littler kids, we have a third and fifth grader, my son Eli. And he's, uh, he's in fifth grade, and so he does quite a bit of work every week now. So the teacher staples it, sends it home. And so I, I, I'm a teacher myself, and so I'm like kind of just moving through the packet. And I find myself not necessarily reading his work. I find myself reading the teacher comments on the work that he's turned in. I know parents who could do that too, but uh, she writes in this pink pen. It's kind of always the same thing. So I'm writing all of her, or reading all of her comments. And as I'm paging through, I, I, I read this like it's like bolded and, ex- you know, it's, instead of like teacher scribble, it's like big, bold letters. It says, let's hope your dad doesn't read this. And I, I literally like close it and I'm like, like it's going to refresh or something. It's a piece of paper. And so I immediately stop, and now I start to read this Friday packet more closely. So I turn the page, and I see it again. Let's hope your dad doesn't read your reflection paragraph. I'm like, what is happening? And so I finally get to it. It was like 10 pages later. I get to his Bible reflection Now, our unit theme is discovery, and the question was, what did you discover this week? This was my son's response. (sighs) My son's response was, I discovered that when my dad gets really tired, he gets mad really easily. And I'm reading this, and I'll probably get choked up. And when my dad gets mad, he tends to yell a lot, and the only thing we can do is just to Leave him alone for a few minutes. (laughs) And then the teacher writes, wow, thanks for sharing. Like, that's my colleague. I see her every day. And it was right about that time (laughs) that pastor, uh, our pastors, um, or or I, I got the content for the week. And this week's topic is guilt. And I felt like God saying, it's time. It's time to deal with this. So today, that thing from within that we're going to tackle head on is guilt. Is guilt. Now, guilt is the emotion associated with acknowledging we've done something wrong. So I tell you the story of throwing myself under the bus to give you permission 
to be real with God today. Because he sees it anyway. We're not going to ask you to share in front of people. But when those moments flash in your mind, in just a minute, when God focuses you on something, don't run away from it. Commit to it. We're talking about the emotion associated with acknowledging we've done something wrong. We're not talking about false guilt here. We're not talking about taking on the guilt of someone else. We're talking about this feeling that you know you did something wrong and you're acknowledging it. I remember in that moment when I was, when I did pop off and yell at my kids to just give me a minute, I remember saying to myself, oh, I'm just really worn out. Wow, I can't believe I reacted like that. I must really just have, you know, I just need more coffee or something like that. And I remember that the guilt led really quickly uh, to me wanting to push it off and explain it. And if we don't know what to do with guilt, I think we naturally manage uh, guilt in our life in, in a couple ways. I'm sure there's more, but here's two to get us started. And these are things, if you're taking notes, these are things that maybe you want to write down, you can come back to later. I think if we don't learn how to naturally manage or, or how to manage our guilt in the way that God wants, we do at least one of two things. Number one, we deny it. We deny our guilt just flat out. We shift the blame. We make excuses. And this is my experience. We, we say things. We, oh, well, it must have just been fill in the blank. And there's lots of different ways to say it. But for the sake of time, you guys know what I'm talking about. The heart of the matter is here is that we are just flat out denying our guilt, trying to push it off our desk. The first one, we deny our guilt. Secondly, this is a little bit longer of a point, but hang in there. We create a narrative that allows us to suppress, ignore, or minimize our guilt. I'll say that again. We create a narrative that allows us to suppress, ignore, or minimize guilt. Now, with this, you're not denying it. You're stuffing it down. You're compartmentalizing it. Or you're just outright minimizing it. Oh, that, wasn't, that didn't hurt them that bad. And I've done this. I've done this. And what happens is we create a narrative that sounds like this. Oh, well, I wasn't a Christian then. Oh, man, I really need to get more sleep. I was young. I was a lot young, a lot, lot younger then, a lot dumber. I've grown a lot since, th since then. I wasn't feeling good that day. I must have been really overwhelmed. We create a narrative that allows us to suppress, ignore, or minimize it, and then that narrative, that story that we tell ourselves and others is repeated so many times that it starts to really sink in and ultimately defines us. That narrative that we've created defines us. But the truth, the freeing truth that I want to uh, uh, put in the face of guilt today, again, if you're taking notes, here it is. Denying it or being defined by it always empowers guilt. When we're talking about guilt today and this, this, this exposing what's within, denying it or being defined by it always empowers it. You always give weight. You always give gravity to guilt. We're basing uh, this series off of uh, Andy Stanley's series, and he's renamed it a couple times, but just want to give him credit. And this is so, the stuff I'm about to say is really straight from him. I love his language for this. He says that when people experience guilt, what happens, one of the ways that they manage it is they create this debt-debtor 
relationship with guilt. This debt-debtor relationship with guilt. And he says the, the reason why he thinks that is because that's how people articulate. That's how people talk about guilt. So if we do something wrong, and I, as soon as I read that thing for my son, the, my, my response, other than anger and guilt, was to go and apologize. I remember calling him. Uh, like I, I, uh, we had, I had to go somewhere, and so I was driving there. Literally had planned to listen to Anley Stanley's sermon in the car. And I'm listening to the sermon. I'm like, and I just paused it and called and apologized. And what I realized in that moment is I was using the language of, well, I've done something wrong, and now I feel guilt. So now I owe them an apology. I have become this debtor. I have this debt against them. I owe them an apology, or I've done this thing, and I don't know how to make it up to them. I don't know how I'm ever going to repay that or make it up. And what Annie Stanley says, and I want to bring to you this morning, voice, is that what he says is that we don't experience guilt as debt. We may talk about it like that, but at the end of the day, we don't experience guilt as debt. You know what we experience guilt as? Weight. Have you guys ever felt really heavy because of guilt? And I bring this weight and put it on my shoulder. This thing is legitimately heavy. When I asked for this, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But guilt slows us down. And it throws us off balance. And one of the things that we do as a church that I love, at the the end of every service, we'll do it today, um, we ask everybody to put their hands out in an act of surrender to God. But if you're carrying all this weight, your hands are too full to be open. See, when we're off balance and carrying guilt, we're no longer able to be centered in Christ. We're out of step with him. And so this open hand, open-handedness posture isn't really possible. We're out of position and our hands are full. So even when you owe them that apology and you give it back to them, you still feel heavy and weighted down and out of step. And then I don't know if you've experienced this, church, but when guilt is not resolved, it turns into anger. When guilt isn't resolved, it turns into anger. And you could be angry with the situation, the circumstance. You could be angry with yourself. You could be angry with but you're angry. And I don't know why we, we don't always face our guilt. I'm going to tell you my reason is that I, the reason why I think we don't face our guilt is because we know we, once we face our guilt, once we admit it and acknowledge it, the next thing we experience is condemnation. Why don't we face our guilt? Because then we'll be condemned. And I think that we can all feel this way. Be honest, are you there? Have you been there recently? Now, what's so crazy about this is Paul, the guy who wrote, writes most of the New Testament, knows about guilt. So before you hear this as like a nice little scripture verse to swoop in and save the day, I want you to hear Paul's story real quick, just to, get, just to refresh your memory. This verse that I'm about to read from Romans 8 is is written by Paul. Now, this guy used to kill innocent people in the name of God. Specifically, people who uh, 
found their identity and, and, and uh, were saved through Jesus. People who were going around telling the good news of Jesus Christ, he literally ruined their lives and ruined the lives of others for years before his story of coming to Jesus. Then, after, he went back and he preached Jesus to the kids of the parents that he knew that he had put them in jail, that he knew that he had them murdered. This was a guy, before he even knew he was writing scripture, he's writing these letters, this was a guy that knew real guilt, really, really knew it. And what I think uh, the weight, what I think that we need to be ready to experience, church, is that Paul is pouring out his heart. And I think today you should let this scripture change your life. Give this word that Paul's about to uh, read, that he wrote for us, give this some weight in your life. Let your life change because of this today. So if guilt leads to condemnation, and you're just stuck in it. Paul writes this. Paul writes this. It's going to be on your screen. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I plan to read it three times. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, there is this now this new created space when all of your actions that lead to guilt, all of those things are still remembered. They're still remembered, but now you are not condemned because of them. You can live a life without condemnation. Paul writes more. And he's going to talk about the law here and how the law is, is there to expose all the reasons why you need God, all the reasons why you're guilty. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Free from the law of sin and death. Free from the condemnation of guilt. Free from being stuck in your ways. Instead of us being condemned by the flesh or the sinful heart, God sent Jesus to take that condemnation, that guilt, away from us. And so here's the point. If guilt leads to condemnation and Jesus has dealt with that, so now this morning, what do we do, what do, we do with guilt? And this is where the life change, I expect the life change to happen. Well, I think that God wants you to hear a couple things this morning. And I think that God is the God of speaking truthfully and speaking truth in love. So here it is. Voice. And I'm pointing the finger at myself first. Here's the truth. You actually are guilty. So own it. But... Also, you are not condemned because of it. You're guilty, but not condemned. I am guilty, but not condemned. Through salvation in Jesus, things have changed. When God sees you, he no longer sees the mess because of Christ. 
Romans 8, 4 goes on to say, And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. And here's the point I want you to, to, cut, uh, to uh, hold on to. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Guilty, but not condemned. Living according to the Spirit leads to freedom. This week, I experienced, uh, I asked Jesus to forgive me. Uh, for the situation with my son, for, you know, every day. And I felt this huge weight disappear. And I realized that, I realized that I forgot how heavy it was. I had been carrying it around for so long that I, it, I realized that I forgot what freedom feels like. I forgot how freedom isn't just doing whatever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want. I, f- I forgot that freedom actually is defined as standing in front of God blameless, totally free because of my obedience to him. See, it's crazy. Our culture gets it so backwards. We define freedom as doing whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want. But scripture defines that as Sin. And freedom is being totally obedient to God because it's so freeing to not feel guilt and to not experience condemnation. Freedom is found in obedience to God. And so today, my prayer for you with a sincere heart would be two things. Number one, for the first time today, that you would ask for God's forgiveness to remove the condemnation associated with guilt. If you're experiencing this weight of condemnation, come to Jesus and let him set you free. In just a minute, we're going to say that prayer together. Thanks, guys, for coming up. But I want to set, I want to set you up with this. If there's a, an action step, if there's something that I want you to realize that you have to give up, that you have to make space for freedom, it's these four things as we close. Number one, if you are a person that has accepted forgiveness through Jesus and given up that condemnation that comes with guilt, there's four things. Number one, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself. Going forward, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself. I know sometimes the hardest audience in my own heart to convince myself that I'm free, that I'm forgiven, is actually my own voice in my own head. And as an adult leading into maturity more and more, I realize that what God says about me has to come before what I say about me. And the more I live into that, the more I lean into that, the more I become like Jesus. So today, to receive that freedom, to exchange it to give up that condemnation found in Christ, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself. Although you're correct, it doesn't matter because what Jesus thinks about you comes first. Second, your guilt, it will remind you. And maybe that's why God leaves it there. I don't know. Your guilt will remind you, but not define you any longer. You know what defines you? Jesus. 
we keep coming back to the same answer. It's Christ. We get to identify now as someone who is in Jesus. Your guilt will remind you, but not define you. Number three, you forfeit the right to condemn others because that would make you a hypocrite. You forfeit the right to condemn others because that would make you a hypocrite. And then number four, now you are free to make restitution without expectations and without excuses. Maybe there's a conversation surrounding guilt, condemnation, regret, that you know because of today that you experienced that freedom, you need to now go back and make it right with somebody. And maybe today, church, you want to make that phone call right after service today. But today, we come into that conversation with no expectation and with no excuses. It's not, I'm going to forgive uh, if they say it back. It's not that I'm going to make excuses. Well, if they would have just, no. Because we are forgiven, we get to freely forgive. To make restitution without expectation and without excuses. Is somebody waiting for you to make the first move today when it comes to being reconciled? Let's close with this. I think sometimes we fear the consequences of confession more than the consequences of concealment. I think sometimes we fear the consequence of confession more than the consequence of concealment. I know that I need to be more careful with the health of my heart in regards to guilt. I'm way more concerned about what others think than about the weight that guilt, it's just isolating me puts me in this prison where I can't experience God's presence. So, church, if we could, uh, I, I want us to, uh, to stand up. Go ahead and stand if you could. And let's say this out loud, just to practice these words. I know one of the uh, things that Pastor Taka does often that, I, that I've learned to do as well is to say things out loud to remind yourself. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to hear yourself say it out loud. So if we could say it together, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to say it two times. It says this, my past will remind me it will not define me. Your turn. Here we go. My past will remind me it will not define me. One last time. My past will remind me it will not define me. Let's pray. Lord, Psalm 5110, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit in me. If we are that person, whether we're watching online or we're here in the room, who needs for the first time ever to say, I am ready to exchange that weight of guilt, that weight of condemnation, I'm ready to get rid of that and exchange it for the freedom of your forgiveness. God, I ask that that person would just say this prayer with me. Jesus, I admit that I'm guilty. And I ask you to forgive me today. Thank you, God, for sending your son. Holy Spirit, come into me and create this new heart. 
Help me be more like your son, Jesus. And if you're the person who maybe just needs to ask for forgiveness again today, you've, you've had that initial prayer. You would call yourself a Christian, but you know it's been a while. For you, let's say this prayer together. Holy Spirit, this is not a new conversation, but it needs to be said again. I admit what I did was wrong, and I ask for your forgiveness. Please remove that weight of condemnation and exchange it for the freedom I find in obedience to you. Create a clean heart in me, O oh God. And Lord, I pray for Voice Church today that I know this sermon, this series is heavy. And it feels like surgery without medicine sometimes. But God, this is the path to becoming more and more and more like Jesus. To experiencing more and more the freedom that you died to give us. To having better relationships with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors. This is the path to becoming this new creation. God, as we sing this next song, may we respond to you. May we respond to you. It is in Jesus' strong name.